Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back to the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. This is episode 54. And Ben, you know what I, you know what I just realized? I was, uh, I was listening to episode 53 last week, and 53 would technically be the one-year anniversary because that would have been the same week that I launched last year, right? Because 52 would have been the last week of the year. Yep, it would have so. been the last week, yep. We're a year old, man. Yeah, happy birthday to happy us. birthday, Midnight Freight Broker. So we're here middle of September. Obviously, uh, great episode today. We're going to talk about objections. You're going to see this happen a lot. Um, whether you're a new broker or a season, they're, they're going to happen, right? Um, but first, we got we to gotta get a take on some sports here. We're, we're early in the NFL season. Um, Bills are 1-0. We actually, Steelers it's funny, we just, right before this episode, we just recorded – next week's episode. So uh, don't be disappointed next Friday when, uh, when you don't have week two stats for NFL. But uh, we, we did a little episode with Crowley again. So look forward to that one coming out next week. Uh, talked about small businesses. So, you know, how Crowley operates with uh, smaller trucking companies and stuff like that. But um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you in, in the sports realm is this golfing, I still can't wrap my mind around the playoffs and they're like, they're still playing. The U S opens coming up. Like, is it, the, is it over? Is the FedEx cup done? Like, I, I don't know what's the, going on. Yeah. The FedEx cup is done. Um, Dustin Johnson took that. Right. The weird thing I don't really understand though, is I think because the, the masters isn't going to be till November, the open starts tomorrow, which we're super excited about. But, um, I don't like, I don't know if they're, yeah, this is still the 2020 open. So it has to be part of still this. It would have normally happened earlier in the year though. Correct. Yeah. It was normally father's day weekend is the, is this the one that's in Georgia? No, that's the masters. That'll be in November. That's Augusta. Augusta. This is going to be at winged foot. I think the last time it was there was in 06 and, and then in 96, I think. And winged foot is located where? And I should know this, and I can't think of it. I want to say South Carolina, but am I crazy? I will tell you in one second. Um, interesting, just uh, New York. New York? Oh, New yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, New York's a pretty big state. so Westchester, not too far from you. Oh, maybe. What part of New York? No, I'm pulling on a map right Yeah, it's... Like Long Island or something like that? Uh, just north of the city. Looks okay. like right above Mount Vernon. Okay. Area. Yep. Below Greenwich, below White yeah. Plains. Yeah. Like the Rockland County or something like that. Just north of the city. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. All right. So there's golf. Uh, NFL. Let's see here. It's coming up this weekend. Buffalo is playing in Miami. I actually had a buddy of mine that was like looking at flights, wanted to go down there. For like 40 bucks. I, I, I can't go to Florida though because of the travel restrictions and having to quarantine and all that stuff. I'm just waiting. I was talking to my wife earlier. If there's a, once that stuff, the, the restrictions lift being a, being a work from home kind of guy, 
I may just pick up and relocate for like a month to Florida at some point this winter and work from Florida. So, but uh, yeah, who knows? Love to have you. You know what? I heard an interesting stat this morning. Um, a thousand people a day are relocating to South Florida. Wow. They said Revin, if this continues, it's going to be like city living down here in four or five years. We're seeing in, in the Buffalo slash Western New York region, we're seeing a lot of people from New York City area that are coming to the Western part of the state because they, now they can work virtually and their companies have gone that way. And this, you know, this is just, you know, think about brokers that do this, right? If you can work from home, you know, you're probably better off going and buying a house where you're spending half the money that you would on renting a place in a metropolitan area. So people are flocking to the Western part of the state where it's cheaper to buy a house. And uh, like you can get a, a gorgeous house in this area, super reasonable compared to people that live in a big metro area. So that's, that's my, uh, my take on that. So yeah, it's funny to see how the people are migrating, but as far as football goes, yeah, uh, I, I would imagine that Buffalo is going to beat up on Miami this weekend. Um, Josh Allen did have a couple of fumbles on Sunday for the bills, which uh, was quickly overlooked by him throwing for over 300 yards for his first time ever. First time a, the bills have seen a quarterback do that since I think Tyrod Taylor years ago, like five years wow. ago or something like that. So yeah. Um, Joe Burrow for the Bengals getting out there, his inaugural game last week, uh, didn't look terrible. He ran into touchdown, I think for the first one, uh, Brady, we, you know, <laughs> did not live up to the expectation, but still, you know, it's week one. Yeah. They, they say on like local sports radio, if you're own one, it's literally like 7% of your season. Yeah. Oh, and two or you're one and one. So, um, just got to shake it off and move on for the teams that didn't do so well, but. Um, I'm just glad football's back. Football is back. So good stuff. So let's get into the episode, man. Overcoming objections. This is, uh, this hits close to home for a lot of people that have, uh, reached out to us that are newer to brokerage, um, or they're trying to grow and to grow, you gotta, you gotta be a, you know, have a sales mindset and prospect and you're going to come across objections. So I think what we want to do here is let's, let's, let's dissect what it means to have an objection and what they actually mean, what they are. And then we're going to apply those foundations and principles to some actual real world examples that we see in a day-to-day basis, whether it's dealing with customers that you're prospecting or when you're negotiating rates with carriers. Um, So, so prospecting, and I will start off by saying this um, objections when you're prospecting, when you get a lot of objections, it's not because you're bad at your job, right? An objection does not mean someone is just telling you you suck and you're not going to get their business. Um, so you're a sales coach. You do a lot of this with your clients. What, let's, let's get into it. What are, what are objections? You know, what yep. types of objections do we see and what, what does it mean? So, and that's what I'm going to go through. I'm going to go through, you know, principles, I guess, if you will, around objections. What an objection doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, no, I don't want this. What it really means is solve this problem for me, right? Yeah. Change my mind. Convince me. And one of the biggest things that I talk about in coaching, you know, that we do at Southwestern is when answering objections, the worst thing that anybody can do is fence. Because even when you win the battle, you lose the war. 
short. And by fencing, I mean, and, and I know sales guys that have had storied careers that still do this and still pride themselves on it. And they just make it harder unnecessarily. And what I mean by fencing is somebody throws up an objection and then they knock it down and they go, Oh, throw up another one. I can handle any objection. And they like pride themselves on winning this argument and proving to the prospect that the prospect is wrong. And then they are right. By Does this relate to fencing the sport or fencing yeah. like what you'd have in your backyard? No, like fencing. Like I, try to stab you with a sword, sword like <laughs> fencing. Are you thinking like literally a picket fence? Yeah. I was like, what yeah. kind of, fen- I don't know. I don't, I don't know where you're going with it, but well, okay, sometimes, I, I I think it sometimes I use tennis, but someone, like, yeah, someone jabs and yeah. then you defend it. Right. Someone yeah. jabs again, you defend yeah, it. I gotcha. You, so using stories of other people who have had the same objection and bought anyway, is probably the most powerful way to answer one. Now the best time to answer an objection is before it comes up. Right. And, and kind of look at it this way is the first person to bring that up and answers it wins because it's not an objection. It's just me informing you. Right. That's um, a really good point. Cause you, you know, we'll go through specific situations and examples, but you know, a lot of these are going to come up. So you might as well get ahead of it and put yourself in a better position when it comes to negotiating. Right. And here's the thing, right? All you're really doing is kind of letting them sell themselves, right? Because people are going to believe 25% of what you say but 75% of what you're able to get them to say, right? Which is why you want to be a master asking questions, not forming logical statements to prove the other person being wrong, right? Yeah. And to, to kind of piggyback on that, I have firsthand witnessed some really, really, really good salespeople. And I witnessed some really, really bad salespeople. And it's hilarious. The, the people, like I've sat in an office setting and listening to a rep on the phone that just spews out information just like word vomiting and it's like all right you, you, it's the worst sounding pitch ever you sound like you're just cookie cutter um and i was always taught and i've learned that he who speaks the least is the one that's going to win if you want to use the term winning or losing in this situation so probing questions right getting them to to talk about pain points or a situation and then almost come up with you know get them to say your solution works for them before you even have to tell them it will. So, and, and that's exactly right, Nate. And, and I, I always revert back to this old adage, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth, use them proportionately. Right? <laughs> I like it. That's, well, that's, well, a, that's, a, that's a, um, a bit of a shift from your Russian proverbs or proverbs. whatever. <laughs> one <laughs> Russian proverb. I'll never live that down. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And that is so all objections, Nate, I mean, they really boil down to just four main categories, right? Even though the objections might sound a little different when a prospect says it, you know, meaning that the meaning behind the objection, you know, comes down to really just one of these four things. Let's hear them. The Number first one is price. I can't afford this, right? Second is going to be procrastination. You know, well, let me think about it. We'll see. I don't know. Give me a call back. We'll think about it and get back to you, right? Third is the purchaser or the decision maker. Yeah, this sounds great, but I'm not really in charge of that. I need to talk to so-and-so. Or in transportation, it's, yeah, you know, I, I would love to use you. I'd love to give you guys the load, but like I don't do the onboarding. Or I do the onboarding. That sounds great, but you would have to talk to Jimmy over here. He's the one that tenders a load, right? Purchaser objection. Fourth one is the provider. We're just happy with who you we're using right now. 
I think those four just about sum up every objection that I've ever come across in logistics, transportation, brokerage altogether. So I think this, this is really, really good. Um, and we've got a lot of examples and we can really see how, you know, what each one of these falls into. Um, I'll be honest, it's funny because you, you probably do too in, in this industry. People prospect you to try and offer a service to you to make your business grow or whatever as a coach or me in brokerage. They, you know, I got technology providers reaching out. I got recruiters reaching out. I got all kinds of Marketing stuff. Marketing leads. Hey, yeah, what are yeah. you leads, oh, yeah. LinkedIn every day? And people, right? like, I'm, I'm notorious for giving my objections when I, like, I could just be like, no, I'm not interested because A, B, and C, but I throw up all these other objections like that you literally just named, like, uh, I got to go talk to the team or, you know, this, that, and the other thing, or, eh, you know, we don't really want to pay that much for this or, or that, or, um, you know, we're already using ABC right now and it works. So, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head that those, those four, those four P's, I guess you could call them, you know, the objections that I've seen fall into those categories. And those are the ones that I use too myself. So, you know, didn't want to pay for it. I don't make the decision. I got to talk to the team. We like who we're using, et cetera. So cool. What, what else, you know, methodically speaking here, psychologically, let's get into the psyche here. You know, why would somebody give an objection? Well, here's the thing before we get there. And this is the one of the things I wanted to cover up front is I think one of the biggest misconceptions in transportation is when they hear, Oh, we only ship LTO or uh, no, we, we, we don't use brokers or Hey, we're good. We're not onboarding carriers, right? People, brokers that I coach or, you know, the questions that I feel people from the show reaching out is they go, well, how do I handle that objection? That's not a real objection. What that really is, is that's a screener question. That's usually something the gatekeeper is going to use or somebody before that precedes the decision maker preventing you to get to that person is going to use to basically just shield their time. It's their job. Remember, one of the most important things when dealing with a blow off is think about put yourself in the gatekeeper's role. Their job is to do two things. One, prevent people that shouldn't be speaking to the gate to the decision maker to save them time or two, to make sure that people that need to speak to the decision maker actually get through. And I would say by far doing this job and coaching this job now, the most effective way is your tone of voice and your confidence at getting through this person to the decision maker, right? And I'm sure you've heard this in the phone rooms, right? If you, and and this is my favorite way to coach this, is if you have a customer, right, and you are delivering to a location and you look at that BOL and you need to call, let's just say your driver is having an issue unloading or, you know, checking in, whatever that is, right? And all you have is a phone number, right? You're going to pick up the phone and with super conviction because you need to speak to this decision maker about your guy who needs to deliver this load. So when that, that phone rings and that same gatekeeper, right, at that receiver picks it up, you're going to go, hey, I need to speak with Mark. Or you're going to say, hey, I need to speak with the shipping supervisor. And that tone and that rate of pace of your speech almost always blows right through the gatekeeper. Nobody ever gets screened when they're trying to reach a decision maker because they've got a driver there. The interesting thing is that's the same person most people are trying to reach when they're prospecting and they'll get through it. They get through it, no issue, right? When they need to, but when they're prospecting, it's this hesitancy and it's, it's them getting kind of worked up and emotional and worried about what's going to happen. 
I, I read a study a long time ago on gatekeepers that they're not really even aware of how they determine who gets through. It's their tone of voice and it's second nature and it's them answering thousands or hundreds of phone calls where they can just kind of hear spot on as soon as they pick up the phone, whether or not that person should be let through or not. And that's how yeah. they're gauging that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, the amount of work that you and I both do on the phone, you can pretty much tell most of the time right away what kind of call it's going to be. So I think if you can, if you're the person on the other end of the phone, if you can change that tone of voice or that pace or the, the sense of urgency, you're going to throw off the person on the other end and, and kind of help influence the outcome. So I like that. That's cool. Good takeaway. Well, what, and I think, well, I was just going to say the most common mistake we see with objections is people that just want to directly answer that objection. They get it and they just want to go right at it, right? Which, what normally happens? I mean, what have you seen? What have you heard? When somebody answers an objection, what typically follows the answer to that objection? Uh, another objection is usually what ding, I see. Ding, ding, right? Yes. Another <laughs> objection, right? It's so like whack I learned this at a young age. So I started off in the sales world in college at Best Buy selling uh, home theater equipment and then computers. And one of the hardest things for us to sell was like the extended warranty or the service package or the install, um, any, you, anything outside of the actual product that the person already came to the store most of the time knowing that they wanted, but then we tried to sell these little add-ons. And, you know, let's say, for example, I sold a high-end TV and I wanted to sell a, you know, $300 calibration and install, and they gave me an objection about price. And I immediately answered it and, you know, explain why it was worth the price. And then they came up with, well, I want this now. I don't want to wait a week. And then I came up with an, you know, yep. an answer to that that made them understand why it was worth it. And then they came up with another one. And it's like, okay, clearly I, at, and I was young and I was new at it. And I was like, I'm good at this. Keep them coming. It was like fencing, like you said, but I didn't, but I didn't always get the sale then because I wasn't looking at it from the right, through the right lens. So and, that's, and uh, think, that's I think proof. You had a great point concept. too. What you just said there, right. Is it makes you feel better because you won, right? Like you won that objection and you literally get a little adrenaline shot or a little shot on whatever that is. It makes us feel good. So we keep doing it. Right. But when you think back, like you said, you won a lot of these objections, but didn't get the sale. So the first question you want to ask yourself is, is that your goal? Is it to feel good or to get more sales in the door? Right? Exactly. You want to get so, more sales. It's that simple. Exactly. So go first step, right? Is, and, and this is what we coach through, right? Is, isolate the objection. And when this step is skipped, right, salespeople tend to hear multiple objections during the presentation, right? If you properly isolate it, then you know that's either the legit objection or you can get to it before you start answering, right? So the first thing that I, I we coach people on is repeat the objection back to them. And that does multiple things. I don't know if anyone's ever read, um, I think it's Chris Voss's book. He used to be an FBI negotiator, never split the difference. And he talks about what that does is it's a bonding thing. So if you have an objection and I re repeat it back to you, one, you feel heard, you realize that I'm listening to you and it brings us closer together, right? The second question I'm gonna say is after I repeat it back to you is, hey, you know, other than the cost of this, you know, say we're talking through your TV example, other than the cost of the warranty, is there anything else holding you back from moving forward with this? Now I'm getting to whatever it is before I start providing anything, right? That's a very, very good point. And I would say a good, 
a good example that you would see this in with brokerage is going to be that, that price point is good. That's going to come up a lot, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, LTL specifically is very price driven. So we'll say like your, your price just isn't there. And it's like, okay, well, is there anything else? Cause maybe there's a, a laundry list of other things and you're going to start getting that criteria out of them and what matters to them and what's important to them instead of just focusing on that one specific item. And that's really, and I, and I, why I really like this topic the most is I think it's probably one of the most useful ways of getting to the root reason or the, where that prospect actually is in the buying sign, right? That's why objections are valuable. It's, it's a chance for you to understand where that other person is along the process, right? And I hear so many people go, oh, well, this shipper is just so price driven. And I'm like, well, what makes you think that? And they're like, cause that's what they tell me. And I'm like, okay, but <laughs> here's the situation, right? In freight or in transportation, yeah, 95% of their loads might be price driven. 5% of them might hit that spot market. And if you're a broker, you don't really want the bulk of the contract freight. You don't have predictable trucks. You really want the 5% that they're not even talking about anyway. And that's why you want to isolate that as to go, hey, absolutely. I understand everybody should be looking for the most cost-effective carrier. But let me ask you that. Other than price, what would you say your number two thing is? You know, what else do you look at when you're evaluating? How important is an on-time truck? How much does it cost you if a truck doesn't show up? And just asking more questions to really find out how they're evaluating, right? Agreed. I like it. So let's, uh, you got any other intro topics or items here before we get into some examples? No, we can go right through the examples. Well, let's get right through. into it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll start with the customer side because that's obviously the, the majority of objection you're going to see. So, um, and these are in no particular order. I just came up with them. So the first one here, and we hear this a lot is, we're not adding new brokers right now. Or I have it as a second one is we don't use brokers. We only use asset-based companies. So you're going to see this all the time. Um, I think before I let you go into your coaching side of it, a lot of the things that I've always looked at in this situation is if they're not adding brokers, the stuff I would like to find out is, you know, do they work with brokers normally? How many transportation providers do they typically work with? Is there ever an opportunity for brokers to hop in on spot market freight? Um, when do they add new brokers? Do they have a cap on who, who can add it? Is there any, um, is there any exception to policy that can be offered? Um, you know, and the list goes on and on with the kind of stuff that I would think about, but you know, as far as, uh, we're not adding new brokers right now, or we don't use brokers. What have you seen in your experience and how would you recommend to handle this objection? So I, and, and it's kind of an odd question for me. And you're going to hear kind of when I kind of explain how I go through it, is it how I am going to overcome any of them? Like the real pivotal piece is I'm going to use a third party story. So I'm going to use a third party story to bring us closer together instead of coming at you when a defensive role of you tell me something and I want to defend it. Right. So I'm going to say, absolutely, Nate. And for this one, I would think that's mostly on the surface. This is closer to, you know, they want to weed out the people they're speaking to as opposed to a legit objection. If there's a need there, they're going to onboard whoever's going to solve that need. My job as a sales rep or as a business development rep, whoever that is, is to dig down to find that real need and to see if there is one or not. So I'm going to come back and kind of say something along the lines of, hey, that's a great point, Nate. You're concerned that you're really just not adding brokers, right? I'll repeat it back to you. I'm going to come back and say, yeah, that's it. And I'm going to come back with something like, you know what, Nate, to be honest, I don't even know if we're a good fit to work together at this point. I think we may be, and that was kind of the reason for the call. Do you mind if I ask you a question? 
And then I'm going to ask you one of the six questions you just asked me, honestly, right? Hey, tell me a little bit about that. Are there any exception, uh, you know, are there any exceptions? Do you work with any brokers now? Have you ever, do you predominantly work with, I might want to understand like how often your freight's tendered in, how much time you have to get a load in and back out the door, right? Because I'm trying to find out how urgent it is for you to book your trucks and how much stress you're under when you need to get that done, right? Because you know this. And I mean, what's the real value a broker's going to be providing to any shipper at the end of the day anyway? Um, it's going to be a lot of it's leveraging capacity, problem solving, putting out fires. I mean, the list goes on and on. To, to, to kind of speak to what you had said there, both of these situations, the not adding new brokers and we don't use brokers, it's quite frankly, it's, it's a lie if you were to say 100% of the time that's true because it's not. And I have seen and helped people overcome this objection because if a company does not have an exception to adding new providers, they are setting themselves up to fail when that hot load comes up and all their approved providers can't help them. 100%. They need, there needs to be a way, otherwise they wouldn't be in business. So and I can tell you, I mean, that might be their yeah. standard policy, but there's always an exception. 100%. And I could go through my largest customer that I've ever onboarded had never used non-asset brokers in the history of their company because of their procurement requirements. But guess what happened when the ELDs went into effect and capacity tightened up in 17, right? They were literally coming back six months later and going, we don't know what we would have done had we not had access to you guys because we literally couldn't get things moved. There was our carrier base, even though it was the largest in the country in some areas, they're like, we couldn't get any more capacity. And you guys helped solve this and in time that we weren't able to solve it. There's always a need there. Just like you said, it's kind of BS, right? It is. And I get it because there is truth to, hey, that's our normal policy, but there's yeah. going to be exceptions to it. So, 100%. all right. Next one is going to be price. So, and this is a big one because this could be, um, obviously you're already bidding on stuff at this point. So you've gotten through enough of your sales cycle or prospecting cycle to convert this prospect into a customer that you're actively quoting and speaking with on a customer level now. So um, they might come back and say, you know, you are way too high or, you know, we don't like some of the fees that go into this. Um, and, you know, rate and price could be a lot of different things. It could be your invoicing terms are, they don't fit with our days to pay. You know, you guys want 30 days. We can only pay in 60 or 90 because we're a huge company and that's just what we're going to do. Um, there's all kinds of price stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think the third party situation here, the story is probably going to apply as well. What I usually uh, would look at is kind of what you said before is, you know, first of all, the cheapest price is definitely not going to be the best service or quality. We already, we already know that. And there's usually some leeway that people have um, on, the on the traffic manager side of it. But a lot of it's going to come down to, well, you know, how much will it cost you if this doesn't deliver on time or if it's damaged and how are you vetting these folks out? Like the brokers that you're using that are bidding like at zero margin, essentially, what does their track record look like? Have you seen their Google reviews or their DAT or ITS reviews? And have you looked at any references from them? Cause you know, you know that if you're pricing and quoting in the ballpark, this objection should not be something that you can, that you're not able to, to combat. So um, price days to pay anything financially related. What have you seen as far as uh, the, the way to handle this one? 
So there's one of my favorite sayings that's probably as old as time, right? We offer three kinds of service, good, cheap, fast, but you can only pick two, right? Good and cheap won't be fast. Fast and good won't be cheap. Cheap and fast won't be good, right? Yeah, that's the the, the three points of the triangle. I've, I think I've used that analogy before. We use that in, in military logistics too. It's funny. Yeah. And, and one of the ways I always kind of frame this back when I would get this objection is, listen, um, you know, and hey, that may be the case. Like, we're not always going to be the cheapest, but I'm also not striving to be the cheapest, right? Where my value add isn't in cost effectiveness as a broker. My value add is in urgency. It's in solving a problem. It's in solving it faster than it is going to blow up and cost you on the other end, right? I'm going to cost more than your asset carriers. Where the, asset, where the asset company can't compete with me is in when you need a load picked up in two hours, three hours, four hours, in an afternoon, in the middle of the night, right? Where they can't route a truck there faster. That's my value add. I don't ever want to compete on price. If I'm competing on price, then I'm not bidding on the right type of freight. The type of freight that I should be working with is the freight, for the most part, that is more urgent, more hitting the spot market. Yeah, we'll venture into the, under the other loads once I'm solving these problems. But that's where I'm going at onboarding. That's how I'm going to bring on a new customer is I'm looking for the urgent freight. Yeah. Once I've done that now, when I get some carriers running these lanes and some consistency, I could work some reasonable rates in there and give you stellar service and a little bit above asset price, right? Always going to be a little bit above it, but that's really the value we're going to add. Yeah. And um, as a, as a side note on that, and you kind of hit on this one in the last portion is, you know, when it comes to, you know, you said where the, where the asset company can't really compete against you. Um, a broker and an asset based company really solve or serve to solve two different problems in a company. And when you said we may not be the best fit for you, there is definitely freight that a company has that's not going to be the right fit for you as a broker price being one of the main reasons because the asset based company can do it effectively at a cheaper rate, but the spot market stuff that asset company doesn't have the capacity for, they might not have either the, the trucks or they don't have the, um, they don't go to that area or the trailer type, you name it. That's where you as a broker can come in and solve that problem. So it's good to separate those two. And, and I think that's, when, when you think about the context, right, of even that objection is that's your job as a sales rep, business development rep, is to be educating the person you're working with and working through to understanding that you guys are working in the areas where you provide the most value, right? There's definitely some overlap and don't get me wrong. I've definitely worked, you know, contracted freight and project freight, but like for the most part, I'm going to work my way into it as a broker. I'm going to get some dedicated carriers on those lanes that are reliable. I'll still probably be a little more expensive than the assets with my margin, but at the end of the day, they're going to trust me because this is either higher priority or has, like you said earlier, right, higher risk. If this doesn't hit their customer by a certain date, they're gonna have huge fallout. It's worth them to use somebody that can swap trucks in and out. Asset company doesn't have that flexibility. Exactly, exactly. And that comes to the, uh, the three points of the triangle. That's gonna be the, your speed, essentially, how fast you can get it done. So um, yeah. the, the next two I have kind of go, they coincide, kind of like the first two, but this is, this is about the actual company. So they might say, never heard of you guys or, oh, I've heard of you guys and I had a terrible experience with one of your reps. And this, like, (laughs) believe me, there's a lot of companies out there that can get a really bad rap just from a bunch of young 
inexperienced brokers making a lot of mistakes, but guess what? They're still billion, multi-billion dollar companies because they're, they have people that are doing something right. So this is an objection that can always um, be overcome. And if you're brand new, every company was brand new at some point. So somebody was able to overcome this objection. So um, what I would say is if you're a new broker or you're a newer brokerage or smaller, they've never heard of you. Um, chances are that you've got some success stories, really good ones with other customers, and you've got some references or referrals that you can rely on. You can also t- paint a picture of your personal story. Where, where does your experience lie? Because at the end of the day, the name of the company you work for is essentially just who's going to be sending them an invoice. Who, the person yep. that they're going to be dealing with is going to be you as a human being. So you have to be able to sell yourself on this more so than the actual company. And I'm sure you work for a large brokerage. You've probably come across this one before. What has your experience been with it? So, and I think that's right. It's understanding the value you as that person provide, right? And understanding how you add that value to that customer. And that's how you differentiate yourself, at least from, you know, your peers in some instances. One of my favorite stories um, was somebody I know that uses this all the time in that world is he uses Walmart as an example. He's like, you know, any company that serves this many, this amount of customers or this amount of people, right, is going to have things happen right along the way. They're going to have things that don't go well. Do you stop shopping at Walmart because you Googled them and they had a bad review from a store in another state, right? Like, you know, at the end of the day, you, you kind of want to frame it in a way that everybody understands that because look, we're all human and we all make mistakes at the end of the day. And anybody that is going to pretend they're, you know, infallible is going to end up getting bitten anyway. So I kind of frame it as, you know, hey, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Work for a larger company. You know, use this Walmart or any other large company example. And then I'm going to start differentiating myself. Hey, let me tell you a little bit about what working with me would be like or working with my team. And then I'm going to use a little story about, hey, you know, I had a customer and I did have a customer that didn't want to work with the company I worked with because of a bad experience. And I said, hey, I totally understand that. And look, if you're okay and you don't want to work with us, that's your, you know, your prerogative. I wouldn't fault you. But let me tell you a little bit about what I bring to the table and maybe we can establish that relationship. And if you're not pushing it and you're literally genuinely leading with kind of your beliefs and values and what you bring to the table, that's usually enough to open the door, enough to get another opportunity. Someone will give you a second shot. Yeah, and I think uh, we're, we're this kind of pops up a lot is someone that's a freight agent. So if you're independent and you're, you're 1099, so you're not employed by the company that you're representing. These folks, they may, they may be an agent for multiple companies throughout their career in brokerage and they build a a reputation of themselves as a person so good because they have to, otherwise their business would not follow them from company A to company B. Um, So as an agent, they can really say like, yes, I'm currently with ABC Logistics as an authorized agent. You know, I've worked with these other companies in the past and I picked this as my my new home for, you know, reasons A, B, and C. You may, may have never heard of them, but um, here's why they're a great company and it's going to just enhance my solution for you. At the end of the day, if you're an agent, the, on the from the customer's perspective, the brokerage that you're representing is really just doing the billing and some of the, the back office work on your behalf whereas you are still that primary point of contact. And that can really, that can be um, translated to a W2 broker as well. Like if you're at a big brokerage and it's like, yeah, you might have had a bad experience or you may have never heard of us because we're smaller. But, you know, I tell your own success stories with other customers that you have that work with you under that company now. So that's a good wow. way to do it. And, and I think that's, in, that's been, you know, in sales forever. 
And that's why there's non-competes. That's why they exist, right? Is because even these large companies know that these customers are loyal to the people they work with, not so much the big name brand banner that's the one that's billing them and invoicing them, right? Absolutely. I agree. We're going to do an episode on non-competes, hopefully, uh, hopefully this fall sometime. I, want, I wanted to dig into that, especially now with, with the COVID, um, all the crazy COVID stuff that's happened. So um, good stuff. Any, any other customer objections you want to hit on? No, those are, and I mean, those are a lot of big ones. Those are the big ones. And I think having a third party story, and that's what I work on with my clients is we go through all of these. I list out the first, I ask them, Hey, what are the five objections you're hearing the most common? And they track that for two weeks. And then what we do is we craft a third party story that fits that. So it's along the lines and we didn't get a chance to go through it. We could do it through the carrier side, but you know, whether it's, you know, never heard of your company, whatever that objection is, I'm going to follow up with, Hey, you know, that's a great, that's a great point. Hey, you know what? You remind me a lot of David over at Acme, you know, Anvils. And he had said the same thing. Never heard of our company. Wasn't really willing to give us a shot. But, you know, I, you know, I kind of worked at it. We built some rapport over a few months and he gave us a shot. And to be honest, we now manage 60% of his business. So everybody's here at this stage. And, you know, that's kind of where David was. I'd be more than happy to connect him if you wanted to, you know, get a reference. But, you know, just want to let you know, like, you're not the first person that said this to me and this, it's worked out pretty well for him. Cause when you hear yeah. that, what does that make you feel? Right. Does it make you feel like someone's trying to convince you or that you're one of a bunch of people? No, I mean, it, it, it sounds to me, it sounds the way that you just painted that picture with Acme anvils. And I, I feel like you've used Acme as an example in other situations. It's funny. Um, but it, you know, it, it made me think of um, the whole idea that when you're on a call or whether it's in person or on, on the phone, people tend to absorb and remember a story a lot better than just a fact or a statistic or some kind of data that you give them. So I think when you paint that picture, you don't feel like you're just one of a million people, just another number, or they're just really just trying to persuade you. Um, You actually believe what you're being told in the story that you hear. So I I personally love that technique. I don't think it's malicious or fake. If you're using a real story, it's an effective way to, to communicate with somebody. And you so. know, my other way to coach this or kind of teach this is think about this and, and just think about it from a general standpoint. Who tells the best jokes, young people or older people? Oh, it's usually older people. Right. And why do you think that is? They've got a ton of experience. Because they've told it over and over again, right? And they've honed that story and that joke to know when to hang it, when to suspense, when to drop the punchline. And that's why they're good at it, right? Well, don't expect to tell a story the first time and be an awesome storyteller at it. That's why we prepare them with the clients. That's why I have them practice them and they just get better and more effective with time or they understand where that hinges and how to tell that story. I love it. That's a good one. That's fine. I never thought about that. All right, let's look at some carrier stuff because obviously now you've got your customer um, or maybe you're bidding. You're trying to, you you got a load list. You're trying to bid and get some business. Um, So the carrier side you know, this is going to fall into a lot of times it's going to be um, the, you need this carrier because they have the equipment type or you, you can use pretty much any carrier, but you have to get their price to a certain point. Um, You need availability. So let's get into some of these. So, and this, the first one is on bad reviews, right? So, and I have heard this not just from carriers that don't want to work with a brokerage, but brokers that don't want to work for a brokerage because of reviews that they saw in their hiring process or an agent during a recruitment process is I saw your Google reviews. I saw your DAT and truck stop reviews. Um, here's, my, here's, here's the way I take a look at it. 
And here's what I've done. I say that if you've got a review, good or bad, respond to all of them, whether they're good or bad. You've got to show that as a company, you care about the feedback that you're getting from the customer yes. or whoever is in it. So like for a broker, the biggest, um, biggest thing you'll see is a carrier putting a bad review on there because they got short paid or a broker screwed them over by um, canceling the load or not paying a tonu or you name it, right? There's some kind of issue. And a lot of times they are isolated incidents that don't reflect either the other rep by any means, because it was rep specific, or it doesn't represent the company because it was rep specific. And, you know, obviously it's no, it's no mystery that you're more likely to leave a bad review after a bad experience than a good review after a good experience. So um, I say respond to them, tell the story about what happened. If there was someone actually at fault, address that. But at the end of the day, the way I look at it is like, look at any of the top brokers out there, look at their reviews they're going to all be in the two to three out of five range. No, you could have a really good broker and it's not going to reflect that way via reviews. What do you think? And, and I think you're right. I think in the overwhelming thing that I hear with that and what you said, and I couldn't agree with you more is that what is that really at the end of the day? It's just you taking responsibility, right? And that's what we should be doing. And most of the time, like you said, a bad review, I mean, whether it's an internet tough guy that just had a bad day and he took it out on that situation. I mean, I had bad reviews and I had found out, you know, this customer was, or this carrier was super furious because of this issue. And then when I finally got them on the phone, because I just couldn't get to it fast enough, just somebody new on my team had just made an error in like approving detention. He's like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, no issue. Like it was signed. No worries. Here's your money. I just couldn't get to it. It took me a minute. And he's like, sorry, but I put a bad review on it Tuesday. I'm like, I know it's Thursday. I just couldn't get to it in time, but got to it by the end of the week and then they pull it down. And if you take responsibility for it, even if yep. it is an error on your part and somebody still is upset, that's usually enough to appease the other person. That's the point of the review in the first place, right? It's Humility. Yeah. And I, I will say on the review part, um, if you run a brokerage and you have employees that are working for you, I would strongly suggest that you don't have the employee reply to the review themselves. You may want to have someone from management write the review or at least approve it. <laughs> I had one, yeah. someone's like, oh, I saw a bad review for this company. And I looked at it and it blew my mind. Like Carrier wrote a bad review and the broker replied. And these two went back and forth arguing Through the review. in the review. Yeah. It was, yeah. I think it was on DAT or Google or I forget which one, but I was like, I was like, how this cannot be this cannot happen. You got to have like somebody professionally come in, address it. Cause a lot of times when I've talked to an owner of a company, they'll, they'll see these reviews. And when they decide like, I'm going to be the one that approves and responds to reviews, they found some, you know, brokers that actually made mistakes and they righted the wrong with the carrier yeah. and paid what they were due because just cause the, the broker was pissed didn't mean that or having a bad day and was pissed doesn't mean that they could just deduct pay from a carrier because they were It doesn't mean they were wrong, right? Yeah. Just because they were emotional upset doesn't mean they were wrong at the end of the day. And here's the thing. Most companies do want to do the right thing. Yes. There are tons of instances of mistakes where they get blown out of proportion, emotions take hold, and then we end up in situations like this. And at the end of the day, most companies just want to do the right thing and continue doing the right thing. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Now this is kind of a shift from reviews, but it does, it does reflect companies is uh, your days to pay or your credit rating as it's listed on a lot of times like truck stop or DAT. Yeah. Now I will tell you this is um, you should be monitoring your company's uh, image online to what a carrier is going to see. So for example, I had an agent recently that had a carrier say, 
I can't work with you for this exact reason. Your credit rating and days to pay looks like basically awful on truck stop. And I was like, that can't be right. We investigated it with truck stop and got it fixed. Cause they were, they had the wrong information on there. It made it look like a 40 year old company was brand new and had no reputation and all this stuff. So I would say that, um, figure out if you, if it's actually correct, right? Like just the same way that people are told that they should monitor their, their own credit report to make sure there's no erroneous claims on there. Um, you should be doing the same with your own company's reputation. So days to pay and, uh, credit ratings as are listed. This can be, uh, it, it also how long you've been in business. Like, oh, you're too new of a company, right? If that's, you know, if, if, if it's a legitimate situation and it's accurately projected, then you have an objection to overcome. Um, but the right. first thing you should do is make sure it's accurate because if it's not right, just get rid of the objection by fixing it. So um, have you ever run into, I would imagine you probably didn't with days to pay or credit rating, stuff like that. But um, how, how would you think someone would overcome this? Or let's say they're, they're a new brokerage. They just got an MC six months ago and carriers are like, I don't, I don't know about working with you. I have run into that. Um, okay. Same, same issue. I mean, personally, but I mean, more on the coaching side, I, I coached some brokers that were in that seat. And one of the biggest thing is, is, you know, adding context to it. Um, because a lot of times, I mean, tell really, the whole story. Yeah. Because a lot of the fear is you know, we, everybody in the industry knows of the guys that were, you know, basically brokering freight out of a card table in their basement and just not paying claims. So they shut the MC down and pop up under another one. Right. And that's yep. really what people are looking to see. And if you can add the context to that, like that usually clarifies it. And and to be honest, like you're going to have kind of an uphill battle. It's not about just overcoming it and being able to operate the same as there are going to be different hurdles and it's going to be different operating in your first year than it is your second. The same as it is your third year. You know, I was just talking to a customer or a customer of mine, a, a guy that I coach. So I guess I mean, technically is a customer, but you know, he finally just blew the doors off of his accounts. He's doing, you know, 30 grand a week in margin. And I'm, I'm like, I was coaching through, I was like, you're now in a different position. You are now an employer of a lot of carriers and a lot of trucks, and that brings value to your shippers. And you're going to be approaching things differently. There are different stages. You're going to be doing things a little differently. You're not probably going to have access to the biggest shippers in the world your first year of business. But that doesn't mean there aren't a lot of smaller other companies or mid-sized companies that are willing to overlook that for somebody that's going to be sharing their values, beliefs, and the same hustle and the same kind of work ethic that they may have. Agreed. Yeah, and I think another way too is um... – I guess, paint the picture, tell the story of who you were as a broker before you joined whatever company yeah. you're getting the objection at. So let's say you just, you know, a guy starts up a brokerage, gets an MC and he's only been in business three months. Well, how about the five to 10 years he had experience before that he can, you know, then use to paint that picture and give those references. You can have some kind of um, testimonials and stuff like that to kind of promote yourself as a business owner. I will tell you that if you're brand new to brokerage and just got an MC, it's probably the worst way to get in the industry and you're going to face this. And I don't have a good answer for you then because you probably yeah. don't know what you're doing um, as much as you should. And that's why you should be calling you, right? I mean, and we get asked this question a lot. I mean, going from zero experience to just researching and then trying to run your own company there's a reason that over, what is it, like 98% of businesses fail in the first year or two. The reason is because 
there's a lot involved in running a company. It's an organization and there's a lot that goes into incorporating it, billing, invoicing, and all of these other things other than just the job you just learned, right? There's yep. 25 other jobs you're going to be learning at the same time. That's a lot to be learning at one time for any human being, right? And that's the big advantage of going down the agency model in the beginning. But going back to what you said, and I think it was a great point, and it, it just brought up some of my memories because the one of the things that I kind of, I don't want to say pride of myself on, but I wasn't going to lie, no matter how new I was in the brokerage world. And even though like I had kind of a larger name, I had to overcome that objection. And mine was exactly what you said. Previously, I was a small business lender and I worked for a bank and then I worked as a lender for larger companies. So I said, hey, you know, yeah, I've only been a TQO or, you know, my company for a few months, but I'll tell you what, I was a banker. And what I do bring to the table is I understand invoicing. I understand financing. I understand inventory. I understand FIFO, LIFO. And though I may be new to this, I've got the resources and the people that can answer the questions that bring me up to speed as it relates to transportation. But where I can bring value that nobody else in my company can is I probably likely understand your operations better than your newer hires, right? Just yeah. because of that background. There's value to add no matter how you look Oh, at yeah. It. Oh yeah. I think adding contacts is what's going to do. It's going to solve a lot of the, uh, a lot of the problems here. So that's good. Um, let's go to a price driven one. So carrier says your rate is too low. Sometimes there's no way to overcome this because mm -hmm. it's just too low. They're not going to haul for less than what they know they, they want to haul for. Um, so what I would say here is well, the advice that I've, what's that? What else do carriers look at? Cause they're not just looking at price, right? What are some yeah, of the other so things you could sell? That's what I was going to say is, uh, so one of the things I, I always recommend is look at where you're positioning them for their next um, load or is it a bad call to get them home for their kid's birthday party that weekend? There, yep. there's, a, there's a lot of bigger picture things you got to look at here that price is not always going to be the situation. Sometimes it is. Like if you're just too low, you're too low. There's really no way unless you're just – a master manipulator. There's really no way to get over some of them, but a lot of times it's, Hey, I'm going to get you here on this load. Um, but I've got a next load for you, or I'll get you your next load. That's going to be high paying yeah. going to whatever. Or, um, if you have a repeat history with the carrier, which I hope you do, cause that's what you want to aim for. You could take care of them on the loads that you can. And then sometimes they got to, you know, bend a little bit for you. So you guys can have a good, um, synergistic relationship. So there's a, there's a lot of different angles to this one. Absolutely. I mean, the one is I, I'm going to sell my shipper to that carrier if I have to. I mean, I'm going to say, hey, you know, they're easy to load. They're great to deal with. They're fast in and out. You're not going to get stuck there. The commodity is easy to load. We're going to bounce you right out. And hey, we're sending you to this market. Look at the rates in this market. And that's what I'm looking at on DAT or truck stop or wherever. And I'm going to say, hey, look, yeah, you're only a dollar fifty a mile coming out of here, but I'm going to put you in a city that's averaging two fifty a mile coming out of it or whatever that number is, yeah. right? Yep. And just try to stress those things. I agree. That's a good one. And you will come across that one. You will. <laughs> All right. So the, uh, this is kind of a, uh, a customer one that we just did, but on the carrier side is I had a bad experience with your company. Now this is as a, as a carrier. So, and I think you essentially want to handle this one just about the same way as you would do it. If it was customer focused, um, I'm a different rep right? And, you know, if it's a review or whatever, or just a bad experience with a different broker, paint the picture of who you are as a person yourself and how you're different. And, you know, 
give light on to, Hey, you're right. That person made a mistake. We took care of it. Or, Hey, that person was let go for the way they handled the situation. Just be honest. Don't make stuff up, but speak, you know, speak truth and paint a bigger, broader picture. Give it context. I think you're right. And, and it's the same thing we kind of talk about framing it the same way as, you know, individualize yourself, speak to the fact, and, and then maybe, Hey, it's an opportunity to write a wrong that never got righted as well. Absolutely. So that's it. That's good. Good stuff on objections. You got any final thoughts on objections before we head into the Q and A here? We got some good questions. I mean, honestly, just a free tip out there. If you're running into the same objections, write down the ones you keep running into and just take the time before work or after work and come up with a few stories. And if you don't have a story, find someone else in your organization and just ask anybody that's been there over a year or two has probably handled the same thing and probably has a story that you can use. You don't have to lie to make it your own. I've used plenty of stories where I just say, Hey, you know what? You remind me a lot of this that so-and-so ran into. I just tell him the second or third person, right? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think if you make up a story, it just speaks to your character. So I wouldn't go down that road. So I like that using someone else's story. Um, All right. So Q and A, I got three questions here. Um, First one's on LTL and I worked in LTL for a number of years. So I can speak to this one pretty good. And then we'll see your, your thoughts on it, Ben. They said, how do you get LTL carriers to schedule pick up and drop off windows? Now I will say this LTL they might tell you the number of service days it is from pickup to delivery. It's not guaranteed, right? Stuff right. happens unless you pay for a guaranteed rate or actual, you know, whatever. It doesn't, it could sit there for an extra three days and your rate's not going to change it. It is what it is. It's, you know, bad weather happens or they get too much uh, freight in a certain lane. It's going to sit on a dock until it's ready to go. Um, so you need to explain to your customers that here's your rate and this is, expected service days of three, all right? We can pay a little bit more and get guaranteed, which guarantees it on that delivery date. And guess what? If, it, if it's late, we don't have to pay for it. Um, but the specific pickup and drop off window, it's usually an accessorial charge that you're gonna have to pay for to get that scheduled. If, like maybe you need a appointment time or something like that. Um, so this is why when I talk about LTL, there's a, it's a lot more intricate than full truck load because you're dealing with multiple shipments on the same truck and there's multiple deliveries on that day. So you need to make sure your customer understands if LTL is new to them or that you understand if LTL is new to you, that it's different from truckload in, in this for this specific reason that um, it's not going to be guaranteed. You know, the delivery window time isn't always going to be 100% guaranteed. There's a lot of variation in factors that'll play into it. So um, did you ever have any... Any situations yeah. with LTLs, window yeah. delivery windows, delivery dates? Two things. One of the things is the number one reason for, well, real for bad customer reviews, dovetailing this with an earlier topic, is unmet expectations, right? Number one reason we have unmet expectations, we didn't have clear expectations in the onset, right? Yeah. And I think you did a great point of differentiating between LTL and full, t- and, and full truckload, right? So what I'm going to use that as an opportunity to say, hey, if this needs to be there at that time, then LTL is not the way you want to go with this. We're going to take it full truckload and I'm going to partial it out and it's going to be a higher rate. But hey, I'm still going to dig in to see like why you need it there that certain day. If it's that urgent, it shouldn't be sent to a distribution center. Expedite, hotshot, box truck, you all kinds of stuff to get those pallets moved. Spot on. Absolutely. So that's a good one. It's a good one. Um, 
how to get past the receptionist. And we, we kind of talked, you gave yeah. a great example before. I need to talk to the traffic manager, right? Just, um, but I'll give you an example of what I've seen in the past. And that is to be creative. And I'm not saying that you got to do this, but um, I had somebody that would not call the receptionist. They'd call like billing just to get someone on the phone. And someone that would have no idea and be like, oh, hey, I'm sorry. I got transferred here. I needed to get over to the traffic manager. Kind of the same thing that you were saying, but in a roundabout way. Um, it's a creative way to do it. I've heard people calling the sales team and doing the exact same thing. Um, yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts? I mean, you kind of already spoke to it earlier on how to get past the receptionist. I mean, there, there are, if you know the questions that they're going to ask and the criteria you need to meet, you can get some intel on that before. Um, you know, you maybe use your method. You got anything else to add on that one? I do. So, I mean, there are plenty of customers I ended up with because I went some end around route, you know, went to a different division and just, I mean, it's kind of like playing detective. You want to be able to learn more about your prospect, the way the, how the company operates. And if you keep getting screened by the same line, try a different Avenue, right? I would call accounting, call AR department. I'm just like, Hey, I must've got connected to the wrong place. You mind bouncing me over to John Smith? You'd be surprised at how often they just kick you right over. Yep. Absolutely. It's a good one. All right. This one made me laugh. Um, Someone said, is is facts still common in this market or in this field? And uh, I guess the examples you would, they're probably referring to rate confirmations, load tenders, bill latings. I'll tell you this. I've never owned a fax machine. I've never used a fax, an actual legitimate fax in like the last five years. I have done e-faxing, right? There are legitimately some people that no matter how advanced our technology gets, they refuse to go digital. And they're like, I need to fax this over. Um, There are electronic versions of doing that, but I think fax is just about dead. Um, You're still going to find some people that are using it still. Here's my take on it is I agree with everything that you said, but I'm looking at more from the aspect of, I want to eliminate no opportunities. I want to be as open to serving anybody and there are probably quite a few shippers still out there that still fax i mean i know there are um so i would have the ability to receive it and you can do that easily so as long yeah. as you can receive it you don't necessarily need to be doing it right like yeah the electronic ones are good it's a good way to email. meet that requirement because it'll just get yeah. emailed to you like I, I had a fax number for like six years that if i got a fax it just came to it came in an email as a PDF to me. So I, I like that. Don't, don't get rid of your, um, your opportunity just cause you're not going to do it. And it's probably super cheap. Um, the, the, the context of that question, the person wrote a whole story about they're like, yeah, I was looking through this, uh, uh, day in the life of a freight broker from a freight broker course that I had purchased. And it talked about, you know, early morning going through all the faxes that came in. And I was thinking <laughs> to myself, like, what year was that made in? What year was that course made? 2003? Yeah. Hey, they're still selling it to somebody. So, hey, if you, if you, want, if you want tips and you want to learn about brokerage, you got to come to us. Don't, uh, don't be going buying some 30-year-old. Random 20-year-old software. Yeah. Man, I got a kick out of that. So, good stuff. Good stuff. And uh, you mentioned it on the previous recording, but we'll head on it again. Truck Driver Appreciation Week. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, 
National Truck Driver Appreciation Week. I mean, like I said, you know, in our other recording, it does feel really special this year with everything that's going on and everybody experiencing, you know, goods that we expect to be there, not being there, right? It makes you think and it makes you wonder, like, you know, how does this get here? And everybody, I don't care who you are, can use a little bit of gratitude in your life and, you know, stopping to appreciate how these things get to where we go and purchase them. And the people that do that, right? You know, they didn't get to sit at home out. They didn't get to work from home. So, yeah, just, you know, on behalf of, you know, midnight freight brokers, we definitely appreciate the truck drivers out there and everything you guys do on a daily basis. Absolutely. Thanks to, thanks to everyone out there. So, good stuff. Good stuff. So, keep in mind, next week we've got the Crowley part two of the three-part series dropping next Friday. So, um, any final thoughts, Ben? No, but the final thought I want to leave everyone with this is, you know, the next episode we have is great to listen to. If you are a carrier out there, if you are a broker out there and you're looking to do some more business, the folks over there are phenomenal. They'll, you know, handhold you throughout it. They'll be there for guidance. They'll be there to mentor you through it and get you access to some more business. So, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Love it. All right. Buffalo Bills in Miami this weekend. I don't know the the spread. I'm guessing it's probably like minus seven Buffalo as the uh, favored. I'm going to give a predicted final score of I'm going to go 24 to 10, which I believe is what I actually guessed for last week's game. So let me change it up. I'm going to go 31-14 Buffalo beats Miami. So you think they're going to cover right by what? Four or five points? Uh, no, by like fifteen to twenty points. Okay. Yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the other side of that offer. <laughs> I'm just saying, Buffalo is a force to be reckoned with. Actually, I'm curious. Let me, let me look this up right now. Buffalo, Miami. I want to see what the spread on the game is. All right, limited in person attendance. That's right. Miami's going to have um, fans there. Thirteen thousand people, I think. Is that what it is? That's, I mean, that's the closest team to you, right? Yeah. Yep. Only less than an hour. I mean, 40 minutes. Gotcha. All right, let's see here. The Sunday, September 20th. Money line is minus 250. Spread is five and a half points. I thought it would have been like seven. But, I mean, last week the Bills had like a three-point spread against uh, the New York Jets and just smoked them, so – Yeah. Fair enough. Until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to leave a review and check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any content that you've heard in this episode. Visit us on the web at www.midnightfreightbroker.com. And feel free to contact me if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency. And if you'd like to learn more about what I do or are interested in us running a complimentary sales training for your sales team, please reach out through LinkedIn or our website once again at midnightfreightbroker.com. See you all in the next episode.